that in a minute. Um, before we start the class, um, someone who we've, many of us have been praying for for a while is hopefully taking a very important step towards her recovery today. And that's Serene Tabelli. And so we are very hopeful that today is a strong day for her. But definitely, definitely it's the kind of day that needs a tremendous amount of tefillot. So we're going to say Tehillim. If you notice in the back of the room, there are Tehillim books. So I would appreciate if a few people in the back can hand out some of the books from that table. Um, we're going to do about four chapters. We're going to do it together. And then we're going to start the class. Do we have any upstairs? Oh. oh, by the way, one second. Upstairs, don't give out the English ones so freely. They want English ones down here. So maybe we should get some Hebrew ones upstairs and some English ones downstairs. They have some English ones up there. Three more. They have a few. Oh, what's the app? Like I to go. Also, some people may have Tehillim on their phone, so feel free to use that. Okay, are we ready? So we're going to start with the less, we're doing four chapters, we're going to start with the less familiar one and then we're going to get to more and more familiar as we go. We're ready for this. And I just want to say this again, we're saying it for Fashima, Sabina Chaya, Sarah, Bat Simcha. I just want to say this to her and her family that I'm not sure if you see it or feel it every day. I hope you do. But there are many, many, many of us that are very deeply rooting for you. And that means that today, whatever is happening in that hospital, I want you to envision yourself in Madison Square Garden with the entire community in the seats, and we're all chanting, and we're all rooting, and basically, we're looking at your disease and we're basically all chanting together, we will, we will rock you. So, Bezat Hashem, that is our hope. And that is our plan. Bezat Hashem, Hashem is going to knock this thing away to the moon. Bezat Hashem, Hashem will give you happiness and strength and a very, very, very long and beautiful meaning for life. Bezat Hashem. So, I hope you feel the community's care, the community's love, and the community's appreciation, and the community's concern for what this journey has been. So we're going to start with Perek Vav. And I guess I'll read a pasuk. Six, page 14 in these white books. Page 14 in these white books, chapter 6. That's a hard one, then it gets a little easier, then we'll get easier from there. 
So I'm going to read a pasuk and you guys are going to follow me. Are we ready for this? Yes. Yes. Okay, now we get the chapters you know a little better. Kuf Chaf Aleph, page 208, chapter 121. Chapter 121. 
Page 208 in the small books. Shir Lama Alot Esa Enayel Heharim Meain Yavo Ezri Ezri Meim Adunai Ose Shamaim Vaaretz Ali Ten Lamo Raglecha Alyanum Shomerecha Hine lo yanum velo yishan Shomer Yisrael Adonai Shomerecha Adonai Tzilecha al yad yeminecha Yomam Hashemesh lo yakeka Viyareach balayla Adonai Yishmorcha mikora Yishmor et nafshecha Adonai yishmor tzetecha uboecha Me'ata ve'ad olam Okay, now one more chapter that you know and then we'll conclude. Page Kuf, chapter Kuf Lamed, chapter 130. Page 214 in these books, 214. Again, chapter 130. Shir ha-ma'alot Mima'amakim kiraticha Adonai Adonai Shema bekoli Tien oznecha kashubot Lekol tahanunai Imavonot eshmoria Adonai miya'amod Ki emecha selicha Leman tivare Kiviti Adonai kivita nabshi Vedidvaro hohati Nabshi ladonai Mishomerim la boker Shomerim la boker Yahel Yisrael ladonai Kim Adonai achesed והרבה עמו פדות והוא יפתד ישראל מכל עוונותיו מי שברא המותנו שרר וקר אחרי עבירת ברם אביגרו הרב ולברך ויפה את סלינה חי השרה בת שמחה אין Thank you very much for um, going along with that. And we hope that it brings to a speedy recovery. I can't believe how late I am. This is my fault. Because I started late. I will tell you the truth. I am very much under the weather. I don't feel great. But I'm only here because A, um, tested negative on all the tests, the flu and the COVID and all that stuff, and because there's a far enough distance. So if you're not comfortable, you want to sit in that row, fadal, okay? But I tested everything, rapid, overnight, flu, every the whole case. What? 
so should everybody. There's like thousands of people that don't feel well in our community right now. It's a crazy thing what's going on. But in Baruch Hashem, everyone is curable, and so that's a beautiful thing. And inshallah, for her as well. But today's class, let's be as dedicated, um, in memory of Audrey Levy, Aliyah Shalom, Chanabad Rachel, and from her family that learned so much from her, your strength, your love, your honesty, your bravery, your perseverance, and a family that very much feels not the same without her presence. She's missed every single day and will never be forgotten and loved by her friends, by her family, and by her dearest friends that all participated. So thank you very much. And our Torah today should be an elevation for her soul. And it should bring only berachat to her children and grandchildren and her friends with Hashem that have a great relationship that cared so much to dedicate in her honor. Today's topic, I believe, is an important one. I guess we're going to end at around 1230. Um, I think it's an extremely important one, to be honest. And when I told my family I was going to be talking about it, some of my children discouraged me to discuss the topic. And I think once we mention it, you'll see why. This has become a growing issue around the world and definitely also a growing issue within our community. And that is mental health. And the reason why my kids were discouraging me is they said, Dad, you're not an expert. So I want to say this very clear. I am not an expert. I know I'm not an expert. I'm not a semi-expert. I'm not almost an expert. I don't talk every day to experts. So in no way in this class will we act like I am an expert. But at the same time, I feel that this class gives us an opportunity to try and understand this growing dangerous topic just enough to do something about it. And to say that I don't want to hear it or I don't want to discuss it is like to walk around New York City and say, I don't want to hear about crime. The reality is crime is everywhere. And if you don't know about crime, you'll leave your doors open. You won't tell your kids what to do when a stranger offers them a ride. You won't make sure you're careful when you're driving your car or you won't have some of the safeties that you could take from crime. So you don't want to discuss crime all the time. But if you're not aware of crime, you put yourself in a position to be very vulnerable to it. And I think the same thing is true with this mental health topic. The reality is it's all over the place. The reality is it's in many, many families. I don't know if I would say most, but it's in many, many families in some form, some shape, in some way. And because of that, it's something that every human being has to have a little bit of awareness of. And if you have at least just enough awareness to do something, I think that's enough. We book, begin the book of Shemot. Could you tell that I'm not finished so well or not yet? You could tell? Yeah. I gotta get my things going. Okay. So, we begin the book of Shemot, and there's a dialogue where Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro and wants to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Paro, and Paro says to him, Hen Rabim Ata Am Haaretz. There are many, the Am Haaretz, like the nation of the land. Why is he referring to the Jewish people as the nation of the land? The Benish Hai says there was something very deep implied in that. And here's what he says. There's a pasuk in Iyov that's very famous that says, Adam la'amal yulad, man was born to work. The only thing is, is what kind of work? 
can really be a distinction between one person and another, and really specifically between the Jewish nation and the world. Anu Amelim, we say it as Siyum. If we have a Siyum on a Masechet of Gemara, we say Anu Amelim Vehem Amelim. We work hard and the world works hard. What's the difference between the, world, the work that God destined for us and maybe the work that He put out there for everybody else? And the answer is in a famous Pasuk in Parashat Todot, where Yaakov Avinu, excuse me, where Yitzchak Avinu says to his son, Hakol Kol Yaakov, Vahidayim Esav. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, and the hands are the hands of Esav, when he was feeling his son, and he felt that the hands, it was furry, it felt like Esav, but the voice of the man who was talking to him sounded like Yaakov. And our rabbis famously say that a call called Yaakov, the voice, is really the kind of construction that we as a nation were destined to do. It's spiritual building, it's holy building. It's Torah, it's mitzvot, it's irat shamayim, it's praying, those are the construction that we were all empowered to do. And yet the rest of the world, I hope I'm not saying this in a way that's derogatory to the rest of the world, but the rest of the world was more built to use their hands and to build in a more physical way. And so we go into Egypt and the Jewish people are working in extreme physical labor. They're building, Piton, Ramses, they're building, they're building buildings in towns, they're working very physically hard. Moshe Rabbeinu says that this is not what the nation is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to leave this place and they're supposed to work and build spiritually, which is what, what eventually did happen. They left Mitzrayim, they had Matan Torah, they work in a spiritual way. Haros response was that pasuk we told you before. Hen Rabim Ata Am Haaretz. There are many right now and they are Am Haaretz. I don't want to see them in whatever you envision for them. I see them what they are right now. They're workers of the land. They're Am Ha'aretz. They're a nation that works the land. That's what they are. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I don't see them as that. What that's what they are. I know what they can be and what they should be and what we hope for them to be and what ultimately they will be. So in essence, the dialogue between Moshe and Paro is powerful and important for today. Paro says, I see you as workers. Remain workers with an axe and a saw and work the field and don't ever stop. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I don't see you the way you are today. I see you as holy. I see you as kadosh. I see you as great. I see you as builders of a whole different way and a whole different style. In essence, this dialogue can happen with any person who's in this struggle. Is that very often they in no way want to acknowledge that there's any kind of issue. This is me, don't worry about it. And you, if you're a friend, a spouse, a child or a parent, to a person who has this challenge, you have to be their personal Moshe Rabbeinu and go over to them and say, I see you better than what you see today. And I see greatness inside of you. You can have such great spiritual growth. You think you're Am Ha'aretz. You think you're here to do what you're doing and stay this way. No, you're not. You can be so much more than this. That's where we're trying to go. Now let's go back to the beginning. Clearly this issue is way more now than it ever was. Why is that? Why is it more in 2021 than it was 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 years ago? 
I don't think you ever heard of words. I doubt it that our great grandparents in Halab ever heard of words like anxiety and depression and OCD and eating disorders and words like that. So I'm going to give you again just my humble opinions. I may be right, I may be wrong. Number one, and this has been proven by a lot of data, is that social media changed the game completely. Social media and the media in general expose us to so much more, which triggers so many more issues and mentalities in our head. So if you were able to, a hundred years ago, put your head down and do your thing, you can't right now, you put your head down and you watch everybody else's thing. You're not doing your thing anymore. So there's so much that's happening. There's so much that's triggering jealousy and frustration and annoyance and fear. There's so much of that being triggered constantly. And there's clear data on the fact that the jump and the spike and all these issues happened around 2010, 2011 when social media was born. So it's clearly triggered by all of that. But this has been a problem and a growing problem before that happened. So again, I think the media might have had a place to do with it, but I think it's more than that also. My second reason, I think, is that we didn't know how to diagnose this 100 years ago. We didn't know how to identify it, and so people did have it, just no one talked about it, and they just said, deal with it, go back to work. I think a third reason is that the reality is that our lifestyles didn't allow people to care about it that much. That means if we're in the middle of fighting a world war, we don't care if someone's in a bad mood. Do you get what I'm saying? So if we're in a country that's in a, was in, a, you know, you had people dying all over the world in epic ways, no one's focused on someone with anxiety or someone with depression or someone with these kind of issues because it's just like we don't have time to think about those things. So life was so much tougher and so much deeper in that way that you really didn't have time to focus on it. But I think I have another explanation, a fourth one, that maybe um, captures it even a little better. Not just social media, not just we didn't know how to diagnose, not just because people didn't care as much because the issues that they were dealing with were greater. Is I think back then, these problems probably didn't hurt as much. And what I mean is, is that 100 years ago, People had a lot of physical things they needed to do. They didn't have light at night. They had to ride a horse. When you have a lot of those physical things you're focused on, the little mental issue that you have, you're, not, you're almost not registered in your head. Let me try and give this analogy. And now, today, when things are so much easier, basically in the lifestyle we're living, almost everyone you know is a wealthy person. Everybody you know is a wealthy person. They mean everyone has a car and everyone has a house and everyone has couches and kitchens and electronics and all kinds of things in their house. You have everyone has a cell phone, everyone has an iPhone. Everyone today is a wealthy person. So because we are living such a luxurious life, the mental issues hurt more. So let me try to give my explanation to see if this makes sense. Um, do you like ice cream? Yes. Good. You like ice cream? Good. Do five-year-olds like ice cream? Yes. Now, if you took an ice cream away from a five-year-old, how would they react? They cry and scream. Now, if I took an ice cream away from you, how would you react? The reality is within three minutes, you'd forget that I even did it. Because there's so much that you're focused on that ice cream, you don't even feel it that much. A kid, life is perfect for the kid. You take away the ice cream, it's the only thing he's thinking about. 
So what's happening to us today is that in reality, life physically is almost perfect. Life is good. You have a car, you have air conditioning, you have heat, you have washer, you have a dryer, you have sinks, you have ovens. Yeah, everything is physically great. So when you have an emotional pain, when someone takes away your ice cream, so to speak, you feel it much deeper. Again, I'm not sure if I'm clear enough. I'll tell you what I mean on a personal level. If someone gives, if someone says me something that makes me a little anxious on a regular Tuesday, I don't care that much. But if someone says me something that makes me anxious on a vacation, I'm very mad. Because when I'm on vacation, I expect life to be perfect. So if you affect that perfectness, it drives me crazy. On a regular Tuesday, I don't expect life to be perfect. So you have something that affects that perfectness, it doesn't hurt that much. So right now we're living in a time and an age where our expectation of ourselves is that life should be great because physically it is great. And because of that, the mental issues hurt much more. Whereas a hundred years ago, physically it wasn't great. You had to go to the restroom in the middle of the night outside. You had to go grab, get water from the well. You had to ride a horse. You had no light. It was freezing cold. It was boiling hot. There were so many physical things on your mind that the ice cream didn't register. But now that you don't have as many physical things on your mind, because the reality is that almost anything that you need physically, you could just touch your phone and solve the problem. So what happens is the emotional issues make resurface to the top and you feel them much more than you did in the past. It's just a theory. I don't know if I'm right. But some, you, you like the theory. I don't know if I'm right, but between all of these things together, between the social media, between the fact that we, didn't, we know how to diagnose it now, between the fact that and during world wars, people couldn't think about it, but now we can. And then finally, the fact that because our life is so much easier, the mental issues hurt that much deeper. And please don't take my ice cream analogy as if I'm trivializing the mental issues. The whole point of this class is to do the exact opposite. And just in case those four reasons weren't enough, this thing called COVID-19 came along, put everybody in a house by themselves, some people for months, some people for, for almost two years, and it took the whole world and spun it upside down. And I had a teacher, Magna David, come into my office on, on Friday, and I'll tell you the story in a few minutes why the teacher came in. I said, I feel like, you know how there was a Holocaust? They'll have deal. There was a Holocaust, and then there was a silent Holocaust afterwards, where the silent Holocaust, where many Jews left the religion, they intermarried, and so on. So we lost maybe as many Jews after the Holocaust as we did in the Holocaust. This teacher said the same thing happened, I have deal a million times, not on the same magnitude. We had a pandemic, and then following the pandemic, we have a silent pandemic, where we have so many people that are seriously affected mentally by this pandemic, where it's not famous, it's not in the news every day, but yet people that are dealing with issues on a deep level. Ask any therapist today that has, that has been involved in a real way, they've never seen anything like what they've seen recently. Two heads of the mental health division and SBH came to meet with me last week and they said, Rabbi, we're just going to give you one number. In our community in the last year, we have had six suicides. That's their number. I can't count them. I hope they're wrong. I hope it's an exaggeration. I'm sure a few of them are guesses because in many cases people are not sure if it is or isn't and people always like to guess the worst. Maybe it was purposeful or accidental, but in the end of the day, you know, sometimes people do something and they didn't mean to, and, it, and, and God forbid it hurts them more than they anticipated. 
The reality is that we're in a mental health crisis. And I hate to sound uh, down and depressing with my sick voice. It like adds to the whole uh, to it. But the reality is that this is a big deal. And it's clearly changed. And you know, and I don't want to give an opinion on this because people are going to get annoyed. But the truth is, when COVID-19 came, there were some communities, very religious yeshiva communities, that by Shavuot, they ended the whole story. They said, we're done. They went back to yeshivas. They went back to learning. And they did everything as back as normal. And many of us Jews rebuked them and chastised them and were upset at them and said they were making chedul Hashem. Now, I'm not going to give a clear opinion today, but I will say this. I'm not, in hindsight, I'm not sure which approach was better. I agree, in the beginning, being in quarantine was a necessity. Thousands of people were dying in our communities. There's no question. But once that phase ended, and now there was just the fear phase, was it better to put everyone in masks and behind locked doors and schools in very quarantine-type situations for another year? Or was it better to allow everyone to be free and open, and even though it was a little bit of a physical risk. I'm not sure which risk is more dangerous, the physical or the mental. Because the reality is, the mental repercussions of all of the precautions that we took because of the physical danger are tremendous today. So I'm not sure, again, Purim, Pesach time, post-Pesach time, a a year and a half ago was very serious, everyone agrees. But post-Shavuot, from last summer to now, I'm not sure which was worse. And the reality is, I think our community kind of agrees because from Passover time a half a year ago, everyone just said we're not doing this anymore and we just said we're moving on. So this is a real issue. We made our point and it's clearly an issue today. But why don't people want to address it? And that, I think, is very important. Our parasha begins with our parasha begins with a pasuk that really seems extremely redundant. The pasuk says, "Ve'ele shemot bnei Yisrael." These are the names of the Jewish people. Baruch Atah Adonai Elokeinu Olam Shalkoni Avaro. Amen. You can probably hear that on the mic, like details. Okay. Ve'ele shemot bnei Yisrael. And these are the names of the Jewish people, Habaim Mitzrayim, that came down to Mitzrayim. And then it lists the names, Ruben, Shemon, Levi, that goes through the, all the names of the, of the tribes. So Rashi is naturally perplexed, like we've gone through their names so many times. When they came down to Egypt, we listed all their names. Why are we doing this again? Says Rashi, his famous answer, even though they were counted in their lifetime, Hashem wanted to count them again after they passed away. At this point, in the beginning of the book of Shemot, all 12 tribes passed away, and so Hashem wanted to count them again. To show how much He loves them. Because the Jewish people are compared, these Shivatim are compared to stars in the sky. Then Hashem brings them out, and brings them in, and brings them out. With counting and with names. Hashem brings the stars in and out and He counts them every time, every night with their names and their numbers. So too He wanted to do this with the, with the 12 tribes. He brought them down to Egypt with their names. Now they pass away. Let's get their names again. The question is, why the comparison to stars? The answer is that stars 
There are billions of them. I don't even know, maybe trillions and zillions of them. There's an endless amount of stars in the sky. Yet, every single star clearly has a very important place in the galaxy. Every single star takes a critical spot, and that's why it's named. Hashem has a name for every star, because every star stands alone. Alone with its own beauty and its own priority and its own importance. Hashem is saying this to the Jewish people. Every single one of you to me are a star. Every single one of you has so much greatness and so much glory inside of you. And I believe that the people that are afraid to get help are the people who forgot the star that lies inside of them. And I'm going to give you what I think are three reasons. Again, just coming from common sense and experience with the community, three reasons why people don't want to try and work on this and solve this problem. Have you ever been, God forbid, in a car accident? Ever been in a car accident? No, inshallah, never. Good. I've been in a few car accidents in my life. And I remember my reaction once I realized that it's not dangerous. The minute you get into the car accident, you're like, oh, no, no way. Why not? Because in that split second, my brain starts to download. Cars damaged. I can't get to where I need to get to. I have to go to a wedding tonight. I have a class to give. We were supposed to go to deal with Shabbat. We are supposed to come back. My kids, someone's going to have to pick them up. It's going to cost money to fix the car. I have to do an insurance claim. I have to wait for the car. In one second, when I'm in that car accident, I download all the issues that this car accident is creating, and I'm so not in the mood to deal with it. When a person realizes that they themselves or someone around them has, God forbid, a mental health issue, their first reaction is like, no, this is going to take a lot. It's going to take money. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. I'm just not in the mood. It feels like a car accident. I'm so not in the mood to have this thing show up on my dashboard. I'm so not in the mood to have this thing show up in my life because I know that to deal with it is going to entail a lot a lot that I'm not in the mood for. So what we basically do is we just say, nah, it's not such a real story. It's not such a big deal. It's not in point. The point of this class is to say that if this shows up, if the car accident, God forbid, happens, and it's your child, it's your something in-law, if it's your daughter-in-law, son-in-law, God forbid, a grandchild, if it's, if it's so, it's yourself, it's your spouse, if it shows up, you need to remember what we just said. You're a star. And there's so much more you can do if you're willing to fix the problem. Let me give you this analogy. I'm full of analogies today. Let me give you this one. In baseball, when people in, in major leagues, before they get up to bat, they practice. They stand on the side in the, bat, in the circles. I forgot what it's called. And I'm losing my touch with baseball. Anyhow, so they sit there and they would they practice their swing before it's their time at bat. Someone else is at bat, they're coming up, so they practice their swing. On the bat, they put this iron ring, it's called a donut, and it makes the bat very heavy. So apparently when you swing with this very heavy bat, it's a good way to practice. Now when it's time to actually get up to the plate, they take their bat, they hit it to the ground, the donut falls off, they go up to the plate with a free swinging bat that they could swing very easily. People with mental health issues are holding a bat with a donut on it. And you just feel like telling them, just drop the donut, you will swing so much better. You will be so much smoother. 
you can be so much happier. Yes, it may require a few thousand dollars and two years of work in your life and maybe more, but it's so worth it. Because if you could drop the donut, you can swing so much smoother. You can have so much more happiness. You can have every dream you ever had, you can have, you don't believe you can. Because you're like Parol, you think that I'm hot, it's you see yourself the way you are right now. Or you see your child the way they are right now, it is what they are. No, it's not true. They can drop the donut and swing that bat and all of a sudden have a life that's so much freer, so much easier. You know what else a star is unique for? A star, when you see it from here, looks very, very small. But the reality is, if you were ever up close and understood it well, a star is humongous. The same thing is true with your child star. Right now it looks small, it doesn't look, you don't see their greatness. And especially you see this one issue that's weighing them down, this anxiety, this frustration, OCD, perfection, whatever stuff they have, you see it weighing them down and you don't, you're not allowing them to drop the donut and be a full blown sun. They could be something fantastic, so much greater than they are. If a parent recognizes that a child has a challenge like this and they don't address it, it's malpractice. You should give, you should lose your license to be a parent. If you realize that a child has this issue, get up and focus on it. Allow them to swing for the next 90 years of their life. Don't allow them to sit there with this heavy bat and they can never really get it going. And then it'll just get worse and worse. And then they, the high school gets worse. And then they go to, they get married and it gets worse. And then they become parent and it gets worse because their whole life they're swinging about with a donut on it. You don't think it's worth $5,000, whatever it takes for the therapy for the next two years to drop the donut and let them swing? Let them live their dreams. And these issues, many times, are holding people back from being the superstar that they need to be. Here's my second reason. My second reason is I think a lot of people believe that these therapists, they can't help me anyhow. Because you've sometimes spoken to people and you said, how is the therapy? Nah. And you say like, yeah, these people don't, so I'm gonna spend $5,000 later, I'm gonna find out that she didn't help a drop, so I might as well not even bother. So I wanna comment on that. You're right that there are some therapists that aren't good. There are some therapists that don't understand the community well, that don't understand our lifestyle as well. Not every therapist is necessarily appropriate for you. That's granted. You may have to go through two or three before you land on the right one. But I think there's something even more important to understand. When a person goes to therapy, they look at their mental health issue, let's call it like a dog. It's this wild, vicious, obnoxious dog inside of me. It makes me upset. It makes me depressed. It affects everything I do. It makes me unhappy. And so if I go to therapy, what I really want to do is I want the therapist to kill the dog. I want the issue to go away. And the reality is, very often, that's not an option. The therapist is not gonna kill the dog. The therapist is simply gonna put the dog on a leash. The therapist is simply gonna give you the ability to control the dog, to guide the dog, to work with it, to neutralize it, but not to kill it. 
So if the challenge is on a scale of 1 to 10, and you walk in and the problem is an 8, after two years of therapy, the problem may now only be a, maybe a 4. You might say, one second, I wanted it 0, I wanted it gone, I wanted it off the bat, I wanted it swing, I wanted it 0. And many times that's not an option. But the truth is, a dog that's unmanageable is very different than a dog that's manageable. And once you can manage it, you can live your life. And yes, every now and then it might rear its ugly head and it might do something or make you have a bad day. But if you have the tools to manage it, you are so far ahead of the game. So don't be afraid of it. Don't, don't think that if I go to therapy, it's pointless. No, no, it's very valuable because you're going to put a leash on this dog. Yaakov Avinu, when he spoke to his sons, he says, Arur arpam ki'az. He, got, he said, I'm going to curse their anger. But to Yehuda, Yehuda got angry and he blessed it because Yehuda might have also had passion in himself. Yehuda stood in front of Yosef when he didn't know it was him and spoke to him and was very tough with Yosef. The king, when he was the king of Egypt, and he didn't know his identity. Yehuda was tough. What Yaakov Avinu was basically saying is, put your arpam, put your anger on a leash. This one didn't have it on a leash, it was a problem. This one had it on a leash and it was holy. So having this challenge many times isn't even bad. Maybe a little anxiety isn't at the end of the world, just if it's controlled. So don't say, ah, they don't help. If they help enough that you can control it, they saved your life. And here's the third and final reason. <coughs> and excuse me for the fact that we're over time, we're going to be five more minutes and hopefully we'll be done. Third reason is a lot of people say to themselves, I don't have a real problem. Yeah, I know I have anxious, anxiety, depression, eh, I don't have a real problem. So I think the answer is this. The response to that is this, that there are kind of three levels. There are some people, let's take anxiety for as an example. There are some people that have like zero anxiety. They just never have anxiety. Mazel tov, I wish I was you. Zero anxiety. <laughs> there are other people that have a clear diagnosed anxiety, it's a clear problem, and it could destroy them. And then there are a lot of people that are in the in-between category, that they have some of it, but not enough to entirely cripple them. They could get out of bed, but they're living with this the entire time. Just because you could get out of bed, just because you could basically still swing the bat, doesn't mean it's not worth some time to learn some of the tools to control it too. So what I'm saying is this, if you have zero, you're lucky. If you have a lot of it, hopefully you know to get help. But if you have in between, it's still worth it to get some help. Maybe that some help is going to therapy for six months. Maybe it's meeting with a person once. Maybe it's reading a few books that start you on the process and let you know how big of a challenge you have. But just because it's not a disaster doesn't mean it's okay and doesn't mean you have to live with it to the rest of your life. And doesn't mean you have to watch your daughter and let her live with it the rest of your life. Same thing with eating disorders. There are people that don't have it at all. They could eat everything on the table. Maybe that's also a disorder. But there's people that don't have it at all. And then there's people that are extreme and it's clearly, it's critical. And then there are people that are in between. That they're not a disorder clearly, but they have a challenge and they should work on it. I always like to get a little personal. I'll give you an example. I don't think I'm OCD, but I think I'm a first cousin to OCD. <laughs> that means if you would go into my office right now, in school, school, home, any office that I have, you go into the office, all the desks are completely clean. 
Everything's immaculate. Before I was in a dorm, in a yeshiva dorm for seven years, okay? Almost 90% of the boys in the yeshiva dorm never make their bed, okay? I didn't just make my bed. I had every sock in the right location. Every single one, every toothbrush, everything. I was crazy. But I don't think I'm OCD because I'm fine. But the reality is that a lot of people have this with things that are semi-crippling. Literally, they're like the bat. They could swing it. Look, I swung the bat. But look how heavy it is for you. Why does it have to stay heavy your entire life? So if you have it a little bit, and you speak to someone and they say, yeah, those symptoms sound like you have it a little bit. It's worthwhile to work on it too. Why not be free? Why not live it fully? The Sfat Emet writes that just like our love for Hashem means even though he does things that look bad, we love him anyhow. Hashem's love for us and our love for each other has to be the same. That even if we have things about ourselves that look bad, we have to love ourselves anyhow. And we have to see past that. Says Rabbi Dessler, the biggest problem a person can have today is the belief that I can't grow. If you don't think that life can be better for you, then you're, you're missing out on so much of what you can experience. Can I tell you an analogy that I like a lot, I think makes the point very strongly? And I've shared this before, but I think it's perfect for this. Wow, I really feel bad we started so late. So, anyway, here's my little analogy. I went to the, when I was with a few, a bunch of years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, I went with my two oldest daughters to the Blind Museum in Israel. And I learned one of the best lessons I ever learned in my life. Because you know how the Blind Museum works? It's, you actually feel blind for 45 minutes, and the tour guide is really blind. And you can't see, you go from room to room, you can't see at all. At the end of the tour, before you come out of the dark, you get a chance to ask the tour guide anything. So my oldest daughter was a little, uh, she's got, I guess, a little bit of me in her. She asked the tour guide, she says, can I ask you a question? Which one do you think is harder, being born blind or becoming blind later? So the tour guide says, I don't know, because I was born blind and I like it this way. So I jumped. I said, you like it this way? She says, I like it this way. I said, let me ask you a question. If I could give you a pill that's free and painless and will enable you to see, would you take the pill? She said, no. I said, what? And I walked out of there and learned one of the best lessons I ever learned. She said, you know what? I'm used to being blind. I'm comfortable this way. I'm scared to see. And I said, wow, you know how many people are that way? They have a lifestyle and you say, you can change it. You can help it. You can see. I like being blind. I like the anxiety. I like not getting out of bed. I like the fact that I'm this thin. I like being this thin. I don't ever want to fix the disorder. I like it. And you're like, you could fix it. You could swing your bat. You could live your dream. You can see. And they're like, no, I'm used to it this way. I'd rather stay this way. And you turn to them and you say, are you kidding me? You realize what your life could be. You're going to give it up. So I think we need to end here, but I think our message needs to be very clear. Mental health is all over the place. 
It doesn't mean you need to tell someone if your daughter cries two days in a row that she has depression. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that everybody in their lives need to have their eyes wide open. You have your eyes wide open for any physical danger. We're always on top of any physical danger. A crime, disease, anything like that, we're all talking about it all the time. But emotional danger, you could get through the day without fixing it. So many of us start to get through the week, the month, the year, and the decade without doing anything about it. Our parasha starts when the Jewish people are going to be in bondage and in suffering. Hashem starts the parasha and says, before all the bondage, I need you to know you're a star. I need you to know that in my world, you shine very bright. And if you look at everyone around you that you're responsible for, and you see the star inside of them, and you realize that sadly in 2021, going into 2022, and who knows what 27 is going to look like, in the world we're in, because of all the reasons we gave, these issues have surfaced in a very powerful and sometimes vicious way. And if we have responsibility for people, just like we need to feed them, and we need to clothe them, and we need to protect them, we need to identify what they're struggling with. And we need to identify that donut that's on their back that's not allowing them to swing. And we need to make them realize that if you get help, everything won't change, but everything will change. Because how you live will be different. And once you have the dog on a leash, life can be totally a different experience. So go in there and whether it's a huge problem or medium problem, we're going to help you address this. Because not because we think you're bad, not because we think you're down, not because we're giving up on you, but because we believe in you. But because we know we believe in your dreams, we believe in your star, we believe in your glory, we believe in your greatness. Paros saw us as a nation of workers. Moshe Rabbeinu saw us as a nation destined for greatness. When you speak to your children, when you speak to those people that are close to you, any responsibility that you have for them, your responsibility more than anything else is to make sure that one day they live their dreams. That one day they could drop the donut, swing the bat like a superstar. Thank you.